morning, everybody. Good to see you. Glad that you're here today as we begin uh, week number two. So last week we began a series with an introduction that included Frederick Nietzsche, Morgan Freeman, Bette Midler, Christopher Hitchens, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was a really, really good week. Over the coming weeks and months, we're going to be filling in the blank of the statement, God is. We're going to allow, like we said last week, God to fill in the blank for Himself, to speak for Himself, and we're going to challenge many of the false narratives that we've dragged with us through our lives that have assigned stuff to God that really doesn't belong there. We're pressing into the conversation because A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So that's what we're walking through. This week, we're going to tackle a blank that was conspicuous by his absence. So last week, everybody pulled out their cell phone. They sent me texts. Over 500 during the services, a couple more hundred through email, about 150 more on Facebook. I'm getting up into that eight, 900 range. It's a lot of reading because you guys write a lot of things with your thumbs, all right? But this week, I want to talk about one of the responses that was conspicuous by its absence. In fact, over the five, six hundred that I was just able to scan through, I only saw it one time, and it shocked me because of how often it did not show up. The blank is one of the most unpopular answers was God is good. That surprise anybody else in the room? Because God says He's good, Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. Jesus said in Matthew 19, there is only one who is good. So if God says He's good, why do people struggle with that? Why wouldn't that be one of the first things that we would write down? You know, when I talk to people about the phrase, God is good, the response is normally, they shake their head at first, they go, yeah, and then say, hmm, I don't know. About 20 years ago, Laurel and I went to a church service up in Kamloops, British Columbia. A little different style. It was awesome. A little different style than here at Christ the King. The pastor got up and grabbed the microphone, and the first thing he said was, God is good! And everybody in the church said, all the time! And then the pastor said, and all the time! And everybody responded back, God is good! And I thought, that's cool. Except... For the reason that we were there. I'm sitting beside my wife who had just been diagnosed with Bietti's crystalline dystrophy. She's sitting beside her 15-year-old niece, Tanya, who had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. The reason we were at the church is because they were having a healing service and Tanya was there. Beside Tanya was my sister-in-law, Linda, and my nephew, Jason, and there was a seat empty next to them, which would have been filled with Tanya's father, but he wasn't there because Alan had just passed away from colon cancer. In my brain, I knew that God was good. In my circumstance, I was struggling with the statement that Jesus said, but there's only one who is completely good. You know, and I don't think I'm alone in that place of despair, that tension-filled question that plagues our mind, that, that we do math, right? If God is good, then why am I experiencing this? If God's fantastic and wonderful, then why am I experiencing this level of pain. So I've been back out in coffee shops again in Whatcom County asking people interesting questions. Basically, I stand in line, I turn to the person next to me and I say, you know, I'll buy your coffee if you answer a question this week. I just ask them to respond to the statement, God is good. And I got some interesting answers from the people of Whatcom County. I also began to make some observations. I found this, when people would state that he was not good, if their answer was, I don't think God's good at all, 
it was always followed by one of three stories, which I found fascinating, okay? If someone said God is not good, it started, they would always follow it with, well, one of them said this, a story from childhood where God had actually scared them. Had a conversation with somebody, they actually started talking about Noah. No, the story of Noah freaked me out as a kid. It completely freaked me out as a kid because I looked at the story and this is the way I boiled it down. God gets mad because people are bad and therefore people drown. I mean, to me, the story was not about the animals coming in two by two. I thought that was cool. I was glad that God saved the birdies. My question is, what about the people? And that whole freaky thing where they're all outside knocking on the side of the door and Noah just, we're going to talk about Noah in just a little bit. So when they would say God is not good, they would always follow it up with a story about the, from their childhood where God scared them. Or secondly, they told a story from church where a Christian disappointed them. And their deduction was basically this, if God's people are not good, how can the God that they claim and serve to be could also be good? I think that's a great question. Or thirdly, they told a story of disappointment where God didn't do as He was told or as He was expected to do. And therefore, their conclusion was, God's not good. James Bryan Smith wrote an amazing book called The Good and Beautiful God. He unpacks a, 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 an entire section in a chapter where he talks about those, those stories of disappointment where God doesn't do as we think He's supposed to. He says this, my own experiences of disappointment with God say more about me and my expectations than they ever do about God. You know, in all three of these common responses, we see how easy it is to fit into the pit of God is not good based on X. God is not good based on Y. So let's stop for a second and talk about some of the common spiritual pitfalls that people fall into when they deal with the goodness of God. Okay, here's pitfall number one. We all have an inaccurate and subjective view of good, okay? I met with a guy this week. He's a moral relativist, okay? So he is absolutely offended at the fact that God gets to decide what's good. That just ticks him off. He actually believes that each one of us should have the opportunity to define in our own life what is good. And whenever you meet with a moral relativist, I always want to sit there and just pick up a pen and stab him through the hand. And the reason that I want to do that is because then when they pull their hand back and go, ow, that's not good, I'll say, who says? Who says, you said we should be able to determine what's good and what's not good. I've just determined that stabbing someone in the hand is not bad, it's actually good. So by stabbing you in the hand, I'm just giving you an opportunity to exercise your own worldview. Think about it, 8.30, are you with me? I mean, as believers, as followers of the Most High God, we actually believe it's highly logical and reasonable to allow God to define what is good because we think to ourselves, if we got to decide what was good, that's just scary. If everyone just got to do what was right in his own eyes. Scripture talks a lot about that. But let's be honest, all right? When it comes to God, we often define his goodness this way. God is good as long as my life is easy, I get what I ask for, and he stays out of my way until I need him to solve a problem. We say, God is not good when my life is hard, I don't get what I ask for, and somehow God bugs me, right? When God does what He's told, that's good. When God misbehaves, that's not so good. And this is where it gets all mixed up, okay? Let's pretend just for a minute. Then one day you see me out for a walk with my daughter, McKenna, 
And all of a sudden, you see me yell at her, and I begin to run up behind her as fast as I possibly can, and I suddenly reach out, and I grab her ponytail, and I kick her feet out from underneath of her, and I drop her on the back of her head. You would say, that's not good. Grant, what are you doing? What kind of a parent are you? You would be horrified that I would do that until I looked at you and said, you didn't see the car? She was walking up between two cars. There was a vehicle coming. It was coming at a faster pace than I ever could. So I screamed to my daughter because I love her, turn around, come back, but she couldn't hear me because of the sound of the vehicle. So I reached out and I grabbed all of that I could. I got a hold of her ponytail and I pulled back as hard as I could and she hit her head, but she's alive. Let me ask you a question. Now that you know that, am I good now? Go, that's a good daddy right there. Trying to save his daughter's life. You see, we understand better what is good when we understand the protective nature and the heart of God in every story. I mean, let's go back to Noah just for a second. If you read Noah at face value, you, you can come to some very twisted understandings of who God is. Next time you read the book, in fact, do me a favor. Open your Bible sometime to the book of Genesis and actually read the entire account you might be struck with the fact that in that dialogue, there are these words. The wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continuously. You'll also find these words. And God was sorry. And God was grieved. And if you fast forward in the story of human history, you will find out that at one point in time, God left Jesus, in quotes, out of the ark, just so goodness could come back to mankind. You know, could it be that we've branded God as not good simply because we can't see everything that He is continuously protecting us from? All through this series, God's going to call us to another level of a conversation I believe that this is warranted. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Let's be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of faith in God. I think it's time to leave an elementary understanding of what is good that's only subjective and that kind of boils us down into these little four-year-olds that determines God is good by the size of the snack He gives us. I think we need to step beyond that. Here's the second pitfall, that we're prone to be nearsighted in terms of God's faithfulness for the intellectuals in the crowd. We tend to get really myopic. We get enwrapped in, in myopia where we can't see anything outside of this tiny little scope that we have, and we end up staring at our shoelaces while the goodness of God is everywhere around us. The Bible says God's faithfulness, His goodness is new and fresh every single day morning. That means this morning, fresh out of the box, God's blessings and goodness was, was, was struck on every single one of our existences. I mean, in my opinion, pe people, people get stuck in these moments where they say, well, because God didn't appear good in this moment, therefore He can't be good at all. We make judgments about God's goodness based on these solitary points in history, and that's unbelievably dangerous. When Laurel and I left our last church 15 years ago, it was not good. It was horrible. 
And there were times I questioned God's goodness. But now, 15 years later, I can kind of turn around and look back and I go, in all of those moments where it felt like God was not good, you know what I see now? I see God's fingerprints all over it. This conversation led to that conversation, which led to this little piece of healing, which led to this relationship, which led to this opportunity. And then one day I came crawling through the doors of this church and I ran into you crazy people. And reestablish my hope in church. I look back on it now and go, now, okay, I get it differently because I'm not just so stuck in the life that I'm in right this second that I can't see anything else that's going on. I remember years ago, we were getting ready for a huge weekend outreach here at Christ the King Church. And I remember opening up my phone or whatever it was that I was looking at at that particular time, and, and I saw this great big snowflake on the weather forecast. And I'm like, that's not good. That's not good. We've got everything lined up. We've got to be ready to go. And so I'm at home pacing back and forth. I'm wearing out the carpet up and down going, God, look, this is the plan, right? This is church. This is important. You need to, to create a weather forecast that's going to be conducive to, to bringing people. No snow. Let it rain because I don't want people to be outside with their families. They need to be forced indoors so they can come in because I have this amazing message to preach and they've got to hear this, God. This is really, 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 really important. And I'm just calling down heaven, right? God, stop the snow, stop the snow, stop the snow. And I walk past my daughter's bedroom and my little four-year-old is on her knees by her bed praying and I quote, dear Jesus, please send the snow I love snow, and I'll dance in the snow for you if you send it. How do you fight that, right? Who's going to win that prayer war, right? You know, I want to walk up and down the street saying, hey, all you four-year-olds, knock it off, right? No snow worship dancing for you this weekend. So in which answer is God good? Let me ask a question. There's a field in Whatcom County. On one side of the field on a Saturday afternoon is a mom praying that God would hold off the rain because she's been planning a family reunion for two years to gather the people that she loves the most so they could share a meal together. On the other side of exactly the same field is a farmer on his knees saying, God, I need you to send rain because if you don't send rain, these crops are not going to grow. In which answer is God good? Could it be that God's goodness is not relegated to what we want, but what we need and His perfect timing? You know, that Saturday when McKenna beat me in the prayer contest, <laughs> I think God knew I needed a snow day. Isn't that good? Let's keep going. What's another pitfall? I think we fail to recognize that whether or not you believe that God is good, you're experiencing God's goodness right now. I love this one, okay? We have a lot of folks that kind of hang around Christ the King. You're skeptics. Awesome. I love that you're here. That's what makes this place so cool, all right? They're skeptical. And to everyone in the room, like it or not, believe it or not, you're experiencing God's goodness right now because you're breathing, so if you don't want to continue to impose yourself on God's goodness, and you don't want to say that's a part of God's goodness, you're free to stop right now. Just cease breathing and let's see how that rolls for you, all right? I mean, we, we so miss out on God's goodness in these tiny little, I mean, when I woke up this morning, I was like, ah. 
God's good. We miss God's goodness in creation, in provision, in revelation, in relationship, in daily hope, in beauty, and in in trials. I promise you, we're going to come back to this issue of trials and suffering a fair number of times. In fact, we're going to hit it on the weeks of God is protective, and then we're going to hit it on again because a lot of people said God is ambivalent, and then we're going to hit it even more when we come back to the one, the number one most popular answer, God's confusing. So we're, we're going to tackle that, okay? But there is a pitfall that, that we love to, to, to say, and sometimes we struggle with believing that God is good, but we often tend to discount the fact that God's goodness is being revealed right in this very moment. I mean, can I just ask you a question? I know you're in church, but how comfortable is your seat this morning? Pretty good? You all right? God's good. Let's keep going. Here's another pitfall. We don't believe that God's goodness can be expressed in a no You know, I grew up with a false narrative about God. I used to fill in the blank this way. God is mad at me. I said it last week. When it came to God and Grand Fishbook, there was only two responses. God is sad or God is mad. That's the way that it worked. And I boiled that down into a a perception that God's an angry judge and this is how he exacts his justice. If you do well and you're doing the right things, you're blessed. If you don't do well, you will be punished. So to me, it meant when God is good or when Grant is good, there's blessings. When Grant is bad, there's punishment. If God is hurt or Grant is hurting, he must have done something wrong to deserve what he is getting. Jesus confronts this story this, that God is a punitive judge in a story that's very, very personal for me. A group of religious people come to Jesus one day and they bring along a guy who's been blind since birth. And they've got a question in John chapter 9. Rabbi, who sinned? This manner is parents, that he was born blind. Can you hear the false story in there already, right? They're basically saying this, somebody screwed up, somebody's got to pay. We need a villain, so Jesus, you need to tell us which one. Was it this guy's sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? You know what, it's interesting. You find this in Eastern religions all over the place, right? They have a fancy name for it. It's karma, right? You do this, you're going to get that. If not in this lifetime, you're going to get it later on. And they're actually espousing that time of... They're just like, who's the cause, Jesus? Because only blessing and vision go to the good. Cursing and blindness, that only goes to bad people. In fact, in this time, rabbis and Pharisees in that area were teaching that there was a human cause and a correlation between blindness and this man's broken soul. You've probably heard this before. You see it in the story of Job. Maybe you've experienced it. Something terrible happens to you because you live in a broken world. Has anybody else, anybody else seen, come to the realization in the past week that the world is broken? Anybody else not figured that out, right? I mean, we just see it, right? If you Google it, it will show up, okay? But you've probably heard this. Something tragic happens. Something bad happens. A diagnosis is given. An accident, a tragic accident happens. And somebody comes along and in a very, very subtle religious sort of a way, they they basically say, you know, you, you must have done something. You have to repent for something. It's the same false story. This is where I love the response of Jesus. I fall more in love with Jesus every time I open my Bible. Because he's always going this way. When everybody thinks he's going to zig, he zags. He doesn't sidestep the question. He doesn't do a politically correct dance. 
he just looks at all the Pharisees and the rabbis and say, he goes, you want to know who, who, who's to, to blame? Parents or him? Here's the answer. Neither. Neither. In fact, he blows all of their minds and basically says, and guess what? It's not even punishment. He goes, this actually, this situation was created so that you'd have an opportunity to see that I am who I say I am. And don't try to do the math or stick it inside of a formula because you're going to end up completely messed up. All you need to know is this. This moment was manufactured by God in order to bring Him glory so that you would understand just exactly who it is that you're dealing with right now. I mean, if Jesus believed the guy deserved the punishment that he got what he deserved, he would have just turned around and walked away, but that's not what he does. Instead, he meets him at the point of his need, and he heals him. In this case, God says, yes. Can I just lay this in front of you for you to contemplate this week? When God says a yes to you, stay humble. When God says not yet, say I trust you. When God says no, say thank you. Because God is good, and even when it doesn't appear to be so, He has your absolute best in mind. Why? Because He's God the Father. Remember that last week? Some of you are going, okay, whoa, 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 hold on, Grant, Grant, your point, the opposite, what are you doing? Some of you are saying, that, Grant, you said the pitfall was that we don't believe God's goodness can be expressed in a no, but in this situation, God said Yes, and that's true. But remember what I also said about getting stuck in a single point in history? In this point in history, Jesus says, yes, let's move to another point in the history that's going to pull us out of this particular pit and predicament. And this time, Jesus is not answering a question. He's asking one. He's praying to his Father, saying, God, if there's any other way that we can heal the sins of humankind, if there's any other way that a sacrifice can be made other than the one that's being required of me, God, if there's any other way, let it be. And what was God the Father's answer? No. There's no other way. And what was Jesus' response? Your will be done. I trust you. You are good. Let's move to another question, another point in history. Jesus asking a question, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have I find myself alone hanging on this cross? God, I was better than good. I lived it perfectly. Why is this happening to me? Can it stop? What was the answer? No. Why? So that you and I would have an opportunity to taste and see that God is good. Let's tell the real story about God's goodness. Here's a startling truth. We forget this. God's greatest act of goodness came out of the heartbreaking evil of the cross. I mean, out of the greatest evil, God's Son taking our sin upon Him and being sacrificed. Out of the greatest evil came the greatest belief, the greatest good. It's an amazing thing. I mean, every time I think about that, I'm like, that, that's not only good, that's crazy. That God would take everything off of me and put it onto His Son so that I could walk 
free, that God would take my chaos and offer me peace, that God would take my brokenness and offer me beauty instead. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. And, and we have, we have to, to kind of extrapolate that out, don't we? I mean, it means this. Even when evil's done to us, God can extract good if we're willing to trust Him. If we're willing to believe that He is good. In fact, God makes a promise to us. It's famous. Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Sometimes those verses are hard to understand, so let's reverse engineer them. Basically, Paul is saying this. If you're living in God's purpose, if you love Him even when it doesn't make sense, if you're willing that He if you're willing to declare that He is good, even when your life appears to be crumbling around you, even when it's painful, in that moment, God moves towards you and gives you a blessing of knowing. It's a blessing of peace that says, even though this doesn't make sense, some way, somehow, God is going to bring good out of this. Fifteen years ago, when Laurel and I made the heartbreaking decision to step out of ministry for a while, you know what I think the greatest good that came out of it for my own heart? Is I separated out, this always has to be about Jesus, not just His followers. He pressed something deep into my soul that I cannot get rid of no matter how hard I try. This can never be about, quote-unquote, process. It always has to be about people, because that's who Jesus died for. Out of a hard season, some beautiful, good came. Okay, I've been talking too much. It's time for God to speak for Himself. As I was having conversations this week, talking about all of these different elements of God's goodness, I found that people kept running into the same kinds of objections over and over and over again. In fact, one guy who doesn't believe in God at all quoted to me Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. That verse says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And his response was, that verse is, I don't, I don't like that. That's not fair. The fact that God allows rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, that just does something inside of our inner justice system, which we just want to like, no, it's not right. And our response is often, God's not good because that's not fair. We believe in our heart. Only good things should happen to good people, and I'm one of the good people. So therefore, blessing should be reserved for me. And we just react against it because what, what we're reacting against is we actually think God should play favorites. God should be for the good people, not for the bad people. And so we hate it when terrible things happen to amazing people and wonderful things happen to horrible people. And in our gut, we just say, it's just not right because we should get what we deserve. Oh, let's just stop the train right there for a second. Let that sink in. Do you really believe that you should get what you deserve? Because if that's true, what do you think you deserve with the fact that my sin and your sin nailed God's perfect son to a tree? How do you think God should repay us for that zinger? This is what's amazing about following Jesus. We don't get what we deserve. 
to me, God is good. I don't deserve that. I know my own wicked heart, okay? And I like to think at times I'm a pretty good person, but I know the wickedness of my heart. I know what happens deep inside of me when my justice system gets twisted sideways. I know what happens inside of me when I see somebody get something that I don't think they deserve. I know what it feels like when a quote-unquote competitor of mine gets some kind of success and that stuff that twists down. I, I know the wickedness of my own heart. And to that, God says, if you give me your heart, I'll give you what you don't deserve. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, faithfulness, responsibility, joy, passion, vitality, life and breath, food on your table, protection for your family. Oh, look at all. God's good. <laughs> well played, Keith, well played. God speaks again, John 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We, have, we, we all have trouble, don't we? I mean, I, I, I talked to a guy for a couple minutes after, he's just like, Thanks for blowing up the myth. He goes, I just thought because you're a pastor that you don't experience the same kind of stuff that we experience. I'm like, are you kidding me? You think the microphone comes with a coat of spiritual Teflon and stuff just kind of slides right off? Wow. I mean, every day it's hilarious. I mean, my ears don't work. Laurel's eyes don't work. I mean, we're see no evil, hear no evil. That's how our family rolls, right? <laughs> and God's good, Right? I mean, cancer has just shredded my family. I have one small request in heaven. I want a front row seat. When Jesus strangles cancer and drops it in a pit, I want to be in the front row going, can I help? Can I choke that out before it gets thrown away? I mean, that's what I want desperately. We all deal with this. And Jesus said, yeah. In this world, you will have trouble. We live in a broken world. But he also says this, take heart. Because I've overcome the world. Out of the greatest evil came the greatest good. So hang on to that. While you're walking through the fact that the world is broken. And believe in faith that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, out of the most heartbreaking situation, God will find a way to bring good. He always does. Ryan, earlier in the service, read Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways, and kind in all of His works. The Lord is near to those who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him, and He hears their cry, and He saves them. Every week at the end of the services, we have people come and stand up here across the front, and the reason that they stand here is because we understand that sometimes there's a tension between, I know God is good here. And I know God is good here, 
But here's what I'm dealing with. We provide prayer support after every service because we don't want you just to walk out of here the same way you walked in. We would love for you to be honest and authentic enough to be able to come up and say, you know what, I know God's good, but my Monday through Saturday right now is just a mess. Could we pray about that? Could you walk alongside of me as we hold hands and move in the direction of making a declaration? Because sometimes you just got to declare what is true to be true. Sometimes you have to say, a lot. (laughs) All this stuff's going on. But my God is good. And as long as He gives me life and breath, I will make that declaration because I know it and believe it to be true. So this week, when you wake up, God's good. When you stir your coffee three circles in a counterclockwise direction and tap your spoon twice before you lay it down. (laughs) The fact that I know that's scary. (laughs) But even in that moment, God is good. When you hit your first challenge Monday morning and the business is doing this or the client didn't show up or this is going on or that's going on, in that moment, thank you, Jesus, for this moment to be stretched. And learn that this is more about you. When your world blows up, when it goes sideways, when it does this, declaring that God is good introduces the truth into your heart that will help sustain you. Because He has overcome the world. And ultimately, His goodness will be displayed when He lays a finish line in history. And we're all, over to cr- all able to sprint across the finish line. And in that moment, get all of the understanding for all of the things that God has done. And then we will truly be able to say with full understanding, oh, I get it now. God was good. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. For my brothers and my sisters, I pray that they would be the first to profess that God is good. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who may be skeptical and hurting And Father, I do ask that you would reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself in your goodness. Reveal yourself in your truth. Reveal yourself in your understanding. So Father, I pray that today, if there are people that need prayer, that they would be willing to to be authentic and, and come and talk to somebody here at the front. God, I thank you for an opportunity to come in here today but how good you are. God, we declare in our hearts, we believe that you are good. In the moments of confusion and pain and trial, may we look to you even more, knowing that somehow, mysteriously, you're perfecting in us an even greater reflection of your Son, Jesus. We give ourselves to that divine purpose this week. And all God's people said, Amen.